Welcome to Disruption Dialogues Podcast Season 2. Listen to the influential leaders and trailblazers from around the world as they share invaluable insights to navigating the fifth industrial revolution. Hello and welcome to another episode of Disruption Dialogue Season 2. I'm Sarwan Singh, President and Chief Commercial Officer at Markets and Markets. Today, I'm in conversation with Stuart Thompson, President Electrification Service Division at ABB. Like me, Stuart is an electrical engineer, but unlike me, who spent his career in consulting, he has spent his career in the energy sector, working across the globe, and today leads a 1.2 billion revenue business supported by a team of over 3,000 service professionals across 50 countries. Stuart tells me he keeps our lights on. His extensive background includes prior leadership at the Global Product Service Leader for ABB's electrification and electrification distribution solutions. Thank you, Stuart, for joining us today. Thanks, Alan. Thank you. Glad to be here. Excellent. Thanks. Being markets and markets describe the future of energy with the four Ds. Decentralization, decarbonize, digital and democratization of energy. While this sounds exciting and the real fact is uh, that most of our energy infrastructure, especially in the developed economies, is more than 30, perhaps even 50 years plus old, which, you know, somebody like me who likes to play cricket would be a great average at the Cricket World Cup. But I guess not in the energy business, especially not today when we are looking for efficiency and carbon neutral solutions. So my first question to you, Stuart, is please tell us a little bit about ABB's electrification services business unit. What does your team do and why is this division important in today's modern world? Yeah, thanks for that. I I think, look, the the main thing that we do is ABB electrification services. We partner with our customers to improve the availability of power when they're trying to start up their systems. Uh, We try to maintain the reliability of that power through the life of the asset on the customer's site. More and more customers are looking for predictability as an outcome, and more and more customers are looking for sustainable solutions of their electrical products and installations um, going forward. as you already said, we, we have a dedicated team of around 3,000 global experts. We're in about 50 countries dedicated, but traveling to over 100 today. And we're working in anything from commercial building infrastructure up through into critical power loads in food and beverage, data centers, oil and gas, utility, and utility, anything from distributed power renewable energy up to nuclear. So we're like you mentioned at the start, we're, we're helping keep the lights on. Uh, we're keeping power across the industry um, and we're becoming a partner with our, our customers in a journey, like you said, that can last for 20, 30, 50 years of these electrical assets. And most people just take it for granted that the, the power stays on. But there's quite a bit of work and effort to maintain that infrastructure over that period of time. So so that's probably the first thing around what we do. Um, The importance around um, electrical uh, energy and and security has been something that's grown drastically over the last few years. Um, Not just the security, but the safety of that power, the reliability of that infrastructure, and, and all of us depend on electricity in our everyday lives, not just in you know computers and the work we do here, communications, but even basic uh, functions of life now uh, are going electric more and more as the world tries to push to a, a lower carbon footprint 
and that expansion of electricity is extremely important um, and the demands on the electrical network are continuing to grow. But if we think about the assets like that we, we use in our everyday lives, things like television and computers and phones, you know, we, we've kept them running over a period of years, but if you gave someone a 20-year-old phone and said, use it today, it's a, it's a whole different story, right? Whereas an electrical asset, a lot of the backbones of our infrastructure are 20 and 30 years old, even before computers were really substantial parts of our lives. So that electrical asset needs to continue to be developed, improved and enhanced. And at the same time, the demand on electricity is quadrupling and needed in every facet of our lives. So it's very important for us uh, from a company and from a division to support the continued electrification of the world and making sure that those foundational assets and equipment are able to run and, and perform uh, for customers, even in the everyday lives that we're not aware of. I know exactly what you mean, Stuart. My 16-year-old son wants the latest iPhone, not even the next generation, the, you know, the one six months old. So I absolutely understand. Um, so tell me, um, Stuart, what are the three big topics in your business, especially in a world where we're talking about sustainability, energy security that you mentioned? So what are the three big things that you, you really contribute to? Yeah, I think, look, as the world continues to develop, um, we all know that there's uh, labour and skill shortages, particularly in areas like electrical engineering. Um, so to move forward and, and, and to operate much more distributed assets and uh, bigger electrical infrastructure, we really need digitalization to help us drive efficiency, um, drive what I would call strategic maintenance, asset management and and drive predictability uh, around our solutions. Um, so, so running equipment to the point of failure and then replacing it really isn't an option these days because um, it can cost us up to 10 times more than investing in regular maintenance and, and processes. Um, predicting when an asset fails is, is really good business. Um, we, we don't want to have the failure happen, then purchase the materials, wait for the change. It's all about keeping the product running, keeping the infrastructure running and the equipment running. Um, so being able to forecast that is extremely important. And the real means of doing that is, is digital interaction with that equipment. Um, doing predictive maintenance um, requires a lot of inputs as to when a product might fail. It may come from the environment, it may come from the heat, it may come from the amount of times it's been used, and all of this varies on every installation. Um, so driving data analytics and being able to take all of these inputs in, making decisions around the actual asset that each customer has, can help us determine when we have to do an intervention and not just do an intervention after failure or do an intervention, you know, every six months or every 12 months, um, you know, or after so many operations. We actually look at what's really going on with the equipment and an intervention stops production or stops performance um, of the asset. So we want to try and push that out as far as possible. 
The other is the area of safety and to make sure that from a digital perspective, you know, we are making sure that this equipment um, acts in a safe manner. And as we're putting more and more stress on the electrical network, um, electrical safety and reliability is, is extremely important um, to the business. So digitalization for us is a, a mechanism um, to scale more and to be more predictable in what's going on. It also gives better outcomes for the customers, reduced cost um, and less disruption to the overall um, uh, site. So I can give you a few examples like um, Kapala wastewater treatment up in Stockholm. Um, you know, there's about half a million residents all looking for reliability of their assets and making sure that their utility feed isn't going down. We went and upgraded and retrofitted all digital options across legacy equipment, and we we're able to monitor and perform asset management and energy management for the utility in the wastewater side to make sure that all the filtration systems and everything are running appropriately and correctly, but also enables the plant operators to do minor shutdowns in a controlled manner and keep full operations on for the customers in the in the Stockholm wastewater site. Um, the, probably the second area I would say would be modernization and sustainability of asset. Um, so we want to, in order to drive digitalization, a lot of the asset that is out there today is good infrastructure. The foundations are, are, are good and solid. 50% of electrical equipment are metal cabinets, steel plates, bus bars, et cetera. But the electromechanical switches start to wear out over time. Um, we can add digital functionality to those. So if we can remove and replace the outdated electromechanical breakers and components and fuses, we can maintain and keep 50% of the asset on the site we can minimize the downtime, which might be weeks or months in taking out the core infrastructure. And we can keep it down to just the, the few uh, key items, replace it on an as-need basis and upgrade the equipment going forward. So that enables digital uh, into traditional equipment. It reduces carbon footprint. It reduces downtime and, and generally helps customers uh, run a better operation. And I'd say probably the last of the, the three areas is the shift in moving to capital expenditure to operational expenditure to drive efficiency. We're seeing a lot of stress in the economies around the world at the moment, um, and people are trying to keep their assets running longer and coming out with new business models. What I would say is the emergence of a as a service business model. Um, so that we can do smart servicing, cost effective, we can build it into the operational expenditure for a customer and deliver outcomes rather than them having to save up for huge capital outlays and huge investments. Um, we can then help bring it in when it's needed, why it's needed, how it's needed, and deliver a more uh, sustainable offering for the customer in the, the short to medium term. And that's becoming more and more popular, um, especially in the, the the tougher economic cycles and the geopolitical instability that we see today. Thank you, Stuart. That's very interesting. Um, so I guess that sort of leads me to my next question. Um, and you partially answered that. So 
we you know we talk a lot about the industrial metaverse where we think like ar vr digital twin prognostics everything comes together but we don't talk so much about the services metaverse so from what some some of the things you just described is there a services metaverse can you tell us a bit more about it yeah i think from a, a you know you describe it as a service metaverse um things are Things are having to change as we go forward, and and the technology now is moving into a space where we can be very interactive in the field and in the factory and in the centres of excellence around the world. Um, so extended reality and helping field engineers or people at sites or customers, you know, interact with the asset and their products and perform functions under guidance and supervision from someone like us as the as the primary OEM is a real thing today. Uh, we can superimpose images on the product uh, using augmented reality. We can start to alarm an engineer as they're walking towards a piece of equipment, whether things are safe or not safe. Wearable devices now are in place. Um, that that enable this and, and visualization of actually what's going on on the asset. And we can then provide service and support to um, a local engineer. Um, we can give them guidance. We can give them video support. Uh, we can even give them uh, remote assistance on the guidance on on using the equipment and give them video support down to the piece of equipment. It enables us to act much quicker um, so we can have someone work sitting in one part of the world that is the absolute expert on that equipment. We can have someone at the site um, in another part of the world. We can translate between languages so that the information is um, well received and understood. And we can do that in real time through some of these tools. Um, so the technology is really being accelerated and I'd say COVID was a, a, a great enabler for that. It was it was horrible in a lot of things, but from a technology perspective, um, we weren't able to travel, we weren't able to, to move uh, internationally. Um, so it gave us new platforms and tools to develop um, where we could act remotely and locally at the same time. So digital twins are important for us to develop offerings before we get to site and to operations and test and validate uh, complex installations. Augmented reality helps us uh, guide the engineers at the site um, and deploy it. Um, and in overall, the, the, the speed of operation is improved, the competitiveness, um, getting equipment up and running a lot quicker, um, providing lower cost uh, options to, to solutions is faster as well. Um, so there's a lot of benefits out of this and, and bringing the absolute experts to site in real time uh, is, is, is possible um, through the internet rather than, you know, sitting them on an aeroplane, flying them for 10 hours, jet lag recovery, getting to site, getting through safety protocols, um, we can really get in on the site very, very quickly. So technology is playing a big part in this part of the world and industry. Um, and I think it's going to continue to evolve over time uh, for sure. Excellent. So really nice to hear that. Um, uh, so you mentioned a lot and I heard a lot about you managing an aging infrastructure, but we have a lot of new developments in the world of the energy sector, like electric uh, 
vehicles, electric vehicle infrastructure, including battery storage, grid balancing. Do you also manage as part of your teams this new energy infrastructure that is being created? Yeah, um, you know, the, the demands on power are significant now with all this new infrastructure that's in place. Um, stability of the grids to make sure that when the renewables power is in place, um, when we need it and want it has required a lot of battery energy storage in the in the network. So when the wind's not blowing and the sun's not shining, the, the, the power is still available. And while it is blowing and shining, the, the power is being stored and, and generated. Um, but a lot of the keys around this new infrastructure, again, is the availability and reliability of that power. Um, and so providing support around things like battery energy storage, um, it's not so much about the battery chemistries and the battery products themselves. It's more about the software and how you manage the, the load shedding and the loading and the unloading of the battery storage, the arbitrage between electricity prices um, to give you the most cost effective um, support from the battery energy storage and the monitoring of the battery asset. Um, and, and we see this also in electric vehicle charging. Uh, the frustration of when you go to a site and you get to a charger and it doesn't actually work um, or it's not available, um, the, the infrastructure needs to be relatively low cost. It needs to be communicating. And in order for us to maximize the uptime, we can't send engineers out hundreds of kilometers down roads just to check if the battery charge is operating or not. We need self-diagnosis and communication back. And for the speed of getting these things up and running again, we also need some form of self-diagnosis and, and information about it. So in service, we work at the at the charger level, we at the, the storage level, and we work on the large infrastructure of, of electrification because what's sitting behind those charges and those battery energy storages is a large amount of electrical equipment providing the power levels that are needed from these devices. So it's not just about the devices themselves, it's also about the, the power needed behind them and the, the balance of the grid and the infrastructure behind it. And as service, we work on all of these things um, together uh, with our product teams and our operating teams going forward. But again, it's also about efficiency of deployment. It's around maintaining uptime availability and reliability of power and ultimately predictability if we can do that to help the, the overall infrastructure. Thank you, Stuart. Very helpful. Thank you. I believe you also have an advisory services group. Could you tell me a little bit about what this group does? Yeah, so um, it, it's also an important choice of name as well. Um, we as a, a large electrical infrastructure organisation, we provide um, a lot of information about the products and the electrical assets that are on the site. And traditionally, most um, OEMs would just say, oh, um, the break has reached 85% of its life. You'll need to do something. Um, for a lot of customers, they're not electrical experts. They, they manage a process, they manage a data center, um, they, they manage an oil and gas field, but they just want the power to be there and available. And for us to turn around and just say the product's wearing out or you need to do something, 
doesn't really help in the decision making process. It's understanding is this the most critical part of my infrastructure? Um, there are critical loads and less critical loads. There is priorities around how worn out is it? When should I operate on this and, and invest in it? How should I prioritize that investment? Um, because I've got a limited budget on my site. So what we did is we formed the um, advisory services department where they'll come and help do assessments for customers. They'll look at things like safety. They'll look about reliability of the asset. Um, they'll look at things like cybersecurity on, on, on your site. Um, they'll, they'll also look at a sustainability level. And these are all questions that quite often plan operators or manufacturing teams or you know building operators ask us about and we'll give them a level of priority based on their budget we'll give them how they might want to spend that operating expenditure budget and improve their operations overall um, improve their electrical assets overall um, and depending on what that is we and their urgency and the criticalness of those loads will help them prioritize that. So we do power system studies, site analysis. We can give them various levels of reports. And then if they do want to make the next step, we've given them the baseline information that they need in order to do it. And whether they use ABB or somebody else, they've got that baseline information to do competitive bidding and then and then move forward. But it was very important for us to help guide the customers a little bit more, use our expertise in doing that and provide them a little bit more value rather than just data and information about their electrical assets. So, and, and probably one other point I would make is we chose the word advisory versus consultant. Um, I really like consultants a lot, but uh, I also wanted to be on the ground with the customer doing it and being a part of it. And, uh, and and being part of the solution um, rather than just giving them direction and guidance uh, like many consultants do. We wanted to be on the ground doing that work. And so we, we chose the word advisory uh, for that group. Yeah, I think a lot of the word consulting is being now substituted by advisory. Thank you, Stuart. Listening to you just reminds me all of my engineering, electrical engineering days. Um, last question, Stuart. Um, you lived and worked across the world. Um, what experiences as a world traveler, do you draw uh, and bring them to your business? Yeah, look, I, you know, it, it's a wonderful thing to be able to live and work in, in, in different countries. You, you don't really experience a country and the culture and the warmth of the people and, and, and until you've lived there and, and understood that. Um, from a business perspective, you know, we, we have operations in 50 countries. And the way that we do business in some of those countries and the expertise we have in different markets is is incredible. Um, you know, the, the the skills we have in in Singapore versus India versus the US, um, there's great skills being brought up. There's developments around different ways of applying electrical assets and leveraging that across the countries is is really part of our strength. Um, we really have a network of 50 countries. Um, we can draw on that expertise, whether it's power generation in China, whether it's data centers in Singapore, 
whether it's renewables and recycling that we do up in the in the Nordic region, um, all of these different skill bases and, and, and capabilities are, are one of the strengths of ABB in the way we can leverage it. And you see that living in these markets, everybody's got um, a proud story within their own market of success. And for us, it's how do we leverage that and, and bring it to, to different countries around the world, um, the successes from within a market. Um, so for me, that's exciting. Um, some countries are much more advanced than others, and we can bring technologies uh, to more developing countries. But we're seeing some very simple, innovative solutions uh, in developing markets that we can then apply to advanced markets as well. And, uh, and, and that's also been very satisfying for us as a team. But I'm very proud of the diverse teams that we have. Uh, we don't really have boundaries in, in, in the global market today. Um, and we've been able to help develop and improve electrical infrastructure um, for, for many markets and many countries. And I hope we continue to do that in the future. Thank you, Stuart, for such an interesting discussion. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening in. I was in conversation with Stuart Thompson, President of Electrification Service Division at ABB. Thank you, Stuart, once again. Um, stay tuned for such interesting episodes on Disruption Dialogues. Thanks for tuning in. If you want to know how you can navigate and thrive in this disruptive era, subscribe to Disruption Dialogues on your go-to podcast channels and stay tuned for more interesting episodes.